You're listening to Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of Mark by J.C. Ryle. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. J.C. Ryle's Expository Thoughts These verses show us our Lord again working a miracle. He heals a man in the synagogue who had a withered hand, always about his father's business, always doing good, doing it in the sight of enemies as well as of friends. Such was the daily tenor of our Lord's earthly ministry. And he left us an example that we should follow his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 Blessed indeed are those Christians who strive, however feebly, to imitate their master. Let us observe in these verses how our Lord Jesus Christ was watched by his enemies. We read that they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. What a melancholy proof we have here of the wickedness of human nature. It was the Sabbath day when these things happened. It was in the synagogue where men were assembled to hear the word and worship God. Yet even on the day of God and at the time of worshiping God, these wretched formalists were plotting mischief against our Lord. The very men who pretended to such strictness and sanctity and little things were full of malicious and angry thoughts in the midst of the congregation. Christ's people must not expect to fare better than their master. They are always watched by an ill-natured and spiteful world. Their conduct is scanned with a keen and jealous eye. Their ways are noted and diligently observed. They are marked men. They can do nothing without the world's noticing it. Their dress, their expenditure, their employment of time, the conduct and all their relations of life are all rigidly and closely marked. Their adversaries wait for their halting. And if at any time they fall into an error, the ungodly rejoice. It is good for all Christians to keep this before their minds. Wherever we go and whatever we do, Let us remember that, like our master, we are watched. The thought should make us exercise a holy jealousy over all our conduct, that we may do nothing to cause the enemy to blaspheme. It should make us diligent to avoid even the appearance of evil. Above all, it should make us pray much, to be kept blameless in our tempers, tongues, and daily public demeanor. That Savior who was watched himself knows how to sympathize with his people and to supply grace to help in time of need. Let us observe in the second place the great principle that our Lord lays down about our Sabbath observance. He teaches that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This principle is taught by a remarkable question. He asks those around him 
whether it was lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath days, to save life or to kill? Was it better to heal this poor sufferer before him with the withered hand or to leave him alone? Was it more sinful to restore a person to health on the Sabbath than to plot murder and nourish hatred against an innocent person as they were doing at that moment against himself? Was he to be blamed for saving a life on the Sabbath? Were they blameless who were desirous to kill? No wonder that before such a question as this, our Lord's enemies held their peace. It is plain from these words of our Lord that no Christian need ever hesitate to do a really good work on the Sunday. A real work of mercy, such as ministering to the sick, relieving pain, may always be done without scruple. The holiness with which the fourth commandment invests the Sabbath day is not in the least degree invaded by anything of this kind. We must take care that the principle here laid down by our Lord is not abused and turned to bad conduct. We must not allow ourselves to suppose that the permission to do good implied that everyone might find his own pleasure on the Sabbath. The permission to do good was never meant to open the door to amusements, worldly festivities, traveling, journeying, and sensual gratification. It was never intended to license the Sunday railway train or the Sunday steamboat or the Sunday exhibition. These things do good to none and do certain harm to many. They rob many a servant of his seventh day's rest. They turn the Sunday of thousands into a day of hard toil. Let us beware of perverting our Lord's words from their proper meaning. Let us remember what kind of doing good on the Sabbath his blessed example sanctioned. Let us ask ourselves whether there is the slightest likeness between our Lord's works on the Sabbath and those ways of spending the Sabbath for which many contend, who yet dare to appeal to our Lord's example. Let us fall back on the plain meaning of our Lord's words and take our stand on them. He gives us a liberty to do good on Sunday, but for feasting, sightseeing, party giving, and excursions, he gives no liberty at all. Let us observe in the last place the feelings which the conduct of our Lord's enemies called forth in his heart. We are told that he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. This expression is very remarkable and demands special attention. It is meant to remind us that our Lord Jesus Christ was a man like ourselves in all things, sin only excepted. Whatever sinless feelings belong to the constitution of man, our Lord partook of and knew by experience. We read that he marveled, that he rejoiced, that he wept, that he loved, and here we read that he felt anger. It is plain from these words that there is an anger which is lawful, right, and not sinful. There is an indignation which is justifiable and on some occasions may be properly manifested. The words of Solomon and Paul both seem to teach the same lesson. The north wind drives away rain, so does an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. Be angry and do not sin. Proverbs 25.23 and Ephesians 4.26. Yet it must be confessed that the subject is full of difficulty. Of all the feelings that man's heart experiences, there is none perhaps which so soon runs into sin as the feeling of anger. There is none which once exhibited seems less under control. There is none which leads on to so much evil. The length to which ill temper, irritability, and passion will carry even godly men all must know. The history of the contention of Paul and Barnabas at Antioch and the story of Moses being provoked until he spoke unadvisedly with his lips are familiar to every Bible reader. The dreadful fact that passionate words are a breach of the sixth commandment is plainly taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And yet here we see that there is anger which is lawful. Let us leave this subject with an earnest prayer that we may all be enabled to take heed to our spirit in the matter of anger. We may rest assured that there is no human feeling which needs so much cautious guarding as this. A sinless wrath is a very rare thing. 
The wrath of man is seldom for the glory of God. In every case, a righteous indignation should be mingled with grief and sorrow for those who cause it, even as it was in the case of our Lord. And this, at all events, we may be sure of, it is better never to be angry than to be angry and sin.